Well, hello and welcome back to Viewfinders. I'm your host, Graham Dargy, and today my guest is Julian Terreras Martin, a wildlife photographer from Scunthorpe, England, whose beautiful photography has gained him over 10,000 followers on Instagram at the age of just 23. Julian is a rising star in UK wildlife photography, and it was great to check in with him so early in what's sure to be a long and fruitful photography journey. Our conversation covers everything from setting up a garden bird photography studio to wildlife photography technique to Julian's breathtaking encounter with a rare Iberian lynx in Spain. If you enjoy the episode, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. That's the best way to help me get the show in front of more listeners, and I really appreciate it. I'd love to connect with you, and you can find me on social media and at the Viewfinders webpage where you can get more photography tips. Okay, here's my conversation with Julian Terreros Martin. Julian, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Um, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. Yeah, not bad today. I was thinking um, last year that I would like to make like a bird photography studio in my mm. garden. Yeah. This was just my how I termed it to myself. And so in lockdown, it was a good opportunity to do it because we were just coming into summer and... Um, had lots of time you know and so that's when I started to look up for advice about that kind of thing online that's when I found uh, your profile I think yeah um, because I think did you start our reflecting table around that time as well yeah so I was I've always wanted to do like a kind of hide in the garden just because we get a lot of birds so we feed the birds and we get lots of visitors and stuff like that um, so we put like perches and set up a little tent and took some pictures out in the garden and you get all the the classic birds, you've got like your blue tits, cold tits, great tits, goldfinches and all that. But um, I wanted to like try get something a bit different. So I've seen like reflection pools and all that. And you couldn't really go out and buy materials because all these places were kind of closed. So I used like an old fence panel and some tables in the garage and kind of makeshifted it all together and built like my own reflection pool. And it worked out really well, actually. And was quite good entertainment at least especially when you can't really go anywhere else so yeah it's it's the effect is really really good mm-hmm. and so um did you spend quite a bit of time on that like in once you'd made it you must have spent quite a bit of time on lockdown shooting yeah 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 so first probably three weeks I probably used it every morning so I woke up with my dogs and um took them out let them out for a like to go for a wee and that but then I put some food on the table and the feeders around it and then I just set up a remote trigger because I didn't want to see outside. It was quite cold, and especially when it's first lockdown. So I just kind of sat in my window, and every time a bird landed, I just bashed the remote trigger and took a burst. And the birds really didn't affect too much because I was using quite a long lens. Um, and, yeah, it worked out really well. haven't been using it as much recently, but I've still got it set up because I'm hoping for autumn I'm going to get some, some more birds coming into the garden. Okay. Uh, let's come back to that later I should have done this at the very beginning but why don't you introduce yourself tell us a bit about your photography yeah so uh, my name's Julian Terreros Martin Um, I was born in the UK although like all my parents and that are Spanish so I've got dual nationality Spanish and English and um, I really got into photography from quite a young age because my dad was always interested in macro photography and doing that and I started off doing macro so plants and insects and then as that curiosity increased, I started going for birds and bigger animals, which leads down a more expensive route of photography, sadly, but um, a very interesting one. And that passion for the wildlife kind of focused my attention to biology, which that ended me doing a degree and a master's in ecology and uh, wildlife conservation studies. Um, and that kind of combination of nature plus photography kind of has driven my career so far okay and so uh, you went to study ecology is that right yes i did biology which focused on ecology and environmental sciences and that was at uh, newcastle university and then once i finished that i went to do a master's in liverpool and that was wildlife conservation and drone applications okay and so um, what are you doing now uh, well, I graduated last September, so a year ago now, uh, and I was looking for jobs and stuff like that, and then kind of lockdown hit, and <laughs> yeah. all that kind of went up in the air. But um, luckily, I was volunteering since January in a, in a zoo, in a local zoo. 
Oh, cool. So um, that was quite good. Obviously, during lockdown, that closed as well. But since they reopened, it was quite busy because all the kids were off and all that. So I ended up doing three to four days a week, just kind of going, playing with some animals, talking, looking after animals, which is good for experience and keeps you entertained, especially during these like times. Okay, so did you have to do the talks, like the animal talks to the... Yeah, we do like guiding people around. So kind of it helped me like with communication skills and speaking with people. But Mm. like you learn a lot because we built enclosures, we feed the animals. Like it's quite a small zoo. So you kind of, when you're volunteering, you get to do pretty much everything. Okay. Um, that's, That's a really good nutshell, actually. And I've answered a lot of the questions that I had because I was curious... I knew that you'd uh, studied ecology. I was curious as to which came first, you know, the the passion for wildlife or the photography. The photography was really the, the push towards the biology. I see. Okay. Mm. Because it seems that um, the two things just complement each other. If you were really into wildlife, obviously, um, and ecology, photographing them is only going to help your study, right? It seems to me. Yeah, well... Especially, I was really unsure what I was going to do as a career path. So I was looking at um, different options. And uh, I just because I did the photography so much, I spent so much time out with wildlife. And that kind of exposure to wildlife constantly, really, like, I got to see animal behavior. I got to see, like, animals, like, uh, uh, dragonfly exuvias coming from the water and that kind of evolving of animals it was quite exciting to watch and that kind of got me excited to learn more about that behavior and that's why I went into ecology but even when I was doing ecology and I focused a lot of my work with camera stuff so I did a lot of camera trapping uh, so that using photography and drones as a form of conservation but it still had that photography aspect involved in it. Hmm. Um, So your dad was into macro photography so Mm -hmm. what what kind of things like insects and things like that or yeah so uh he's always been he was he did film photography when he was a kid like he spent all his savings when he was young just on one of these old film cameras which was probably like the best you could get at that stage um and he did a lot of uh, medicinal plants because he was he was a doctor and um he was always fascinated by medicinal plants so he took pictures of them to document them and that kind of changed from just plants to insects and it's kind of like how you start you start off with the insects and then you start seeing a few birds around and you want to get a bigger lens to get the birds and it kind of evolved up from there but um but yeah he started off with plants and then focused more on insects and that's where I kind of joined him with that experience and kind of he kind of led me into that path of photography Mm, that's great to have that with your dad isn't it yeah yeah still even last week I was up in Scotland um, taking some pictures with my dad. So most of the photography I do is with my dad, mm. um, especially at the minute that I'm home. So um, it's kind of a good hobby to have with your dad. You get to yeah, spend a lot of time with great. each other. He'll be loving that as well, I'm sure. Yeah, he's, um, he loves it. <laughs> so when I look at your Instagram feed, it seems like birds are the main kind of focus for you. Is that uh, intentional or is it just because of what's been coming into the garden? Uh, at the minute, yeah, I've kind of gone a lot more into birds now. Like a long time ago on my Instagram, it was pretty much all insects. And um, birds have like weirdly become a weird obsession of mine. I've, I always kind of find it funny that people got quite obsessed with birds. And um, now I've kind of evolved and started doing it all myself. But I I don't really, not too fussy about what I take pictures of. I'm happy with mammals. Uh, I've kind of not focused too much on insects anymore. But if I do find something quite exciting, like mantis and stuff in Spain, that always kind of triggers me to start taking some macro shots again. But um, but birds at the minute seem to be my, my go-to. Okay. So I was um, trying this in lockdown, as I said, and I set up a terrible setup in the garden. It, just, it was terrible. Um, but And I don't have the right gear for it either. Um, mm. So I've got my 70 to 200, which I was using with a, a, an old teleconverter. So it was it was tricky, and I I just I just found it was really hard. It's really 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 hard. Yeah. Um. And I didn't have have it set up on a remote like you. I'm just holding it and sort of leaning on the back of the sofa, looking out the gap in the doors. Um. But your your photography, I, I think it looks 
kind of effortless you know when you look at it it's sharp it's colorful it's clean and tidy great technique no distractions mm. um but from doing it and anyone who's listening to this who's had a go at shooting birds i'm sure they can know how hard it is so um can we dig into the technique a bit here what are you doing well let's start with the gear i don't want to yeah. get too much talk, spend too much time talking about gear but what are you using in terms of uh camera and lens so i believe for most of the recent stuff i've been using a 5d mark 4 so canon 5d mark 4 um and i would vary between um a 300 mil prime and a 500 mil prime so you've got quite big lenses on um but sometimes i'll use 70 to 300s as well okay um, so when you get into that type of lens i mean it's it's like a big money right it's not yeah, a cheap thing to get very very expensive lenses and um it kind of does make a big impact on like your photography because the thing with birds, like you're saying, they, they, they don't want to come too close to you generally. Some, some do, some don't, but, um, that having that extra reach means you can get yourself further away, gives less disturbance to the birds means you're eventually going to get more elusive birds and that better shot of the birds. And you also have to like think about the sharpness of these lenses and creating that, diffused background which is often so like exciting and gets that clean background like you're describing mm. how do you find it working with the prime um i was I nearly took one uh on a safari once and i just thought i'm gonna be a bit restricted because mm. you know some things are really really close you know how do you find the prime do you wish you could zoom it sometimes or do you just kind of get used to that I've we, we, we was funny that because we were talking about this with my dad because we've used 300s and 500s we've kind of slowly worked our way up we started with a 300 and then we got ourselves a 500 but before then we were using 100 400 and 70 to 300 lenses and the other day we were taking a picture and someone let me a 70 to 200 lens and I was saying that I just completely forgot that I could zoom just because mm. I'd used primes for so long so I've kind of got I know that's my range and i compose the image with that i obviously take on and put on teleconverters if i need to go closer or further away but um it's kind of i've got that idea of prime lenses now and i find it hard to go with the other ones now just because i kind of forget that i can zoom in now it's a really weird feeling Mm. it's um i know what you mean when you start it's like the opposite for me because i'm used to using zooms Mm. um, just with the type of work i do when you put a prime on you forget that you can move your feet, do you know? Like yeah, yeah. you can actually walk closer or further away from something. Um, so I kind of know what you mean. Um, and and so in terms of uh, software, do you just go for Lightroom or, or anything else? Uh, so I'll use Lightroom for most of my work. If I need any sort of a bit more extravagant ed- edits, I'll kind of use Photoshop for that. Uh, just so you can get away with a bit more creativity and that stuff. Um, sometimes if I'm shooting really high ISOs, um, I'll use Topaz Denoise. Mm. It's a kind of a new thing that people seem, seem to get a bit excited about and I've been trying it out and it just it seems quite an effective way to get rid of high noise images. So it gives you a bit more confidence to shoot at that higher ISO. Uh, let me go back a little because I just wanted to ask you about the... If you're shooting in your garden you presumably have complete control over the background of yeah. the shot. I just wanted to touch on that because um, you mentioned it. But um, So that makes it easier to kind of control and makes it easier for the post-production side of things as well, I guess. Do you find, how do you find it when you're in the wild, as it, as it were? Do you find it more difficult to control the background or are you having to think about it more consciously as you're shooting? Yeah, obviously, yeah, in the garden, we were like, when I set up, I had an idea of where I was setting up the reflection pool and I and I pointed it towards a clear area of like where there was no branches and I ended up using, uh, we had a dark green uh, shed in the back corner. So a lot of the time that gets shaded, so you got quite dark green backgrounds. So that made it really easy. And then obviously in the wild, you don't have control of that. You've got to, if, if a bird lands somewhere, you've just got to deal with where it is and... Sometimes you get really nice backgrounds and you kind of hope the birds are going to land there. But a lot of the time you just got to go with what happens. And obviously you can edit some other like little branches out and stuff like that. But um, but no, you just have to go with the flow really in the wild. There's not much you can do about it. Mm. Um, okay, let's go into the more of the technique then. Um, 
because yeah you were saying about high isos and when you're shooting birds in flight for sure you need to get up to those <clears throat> excuse me when you're shooting birds in flight you need to get those really fast shutter speeds right so what kind of shutter speed would you usually be shooting at uh flying shots i generally try to go as high as i can but that'll vary from sometimes 1500 up to 2500 seems to be at the best range um obviously any higher just if the lights available is slightly better but um but yeah when i was doing some jumping red squirrels at the, um, last week we kind of used 2500 as a minimum and obviously when the light's not there that pushes up your iso quite high but um if the light's there it's it's acceptable really you can get you can get away with them speeds Mm. so um the, what i found uh, from my experience with wildlife is the technique can be quite intricate and quite fussy um in terms of you know focusing iso what camera mode to choose i think there's different ways to go about it maybe depending on your preferences so what would be your sort of go-to camera setup when you're shooting wildlife uh generally i always go for aperture priority um, a lot of people always go for like manual, especially just because they think you can, you can control everything. But um, I can still change the ISO. I, I like to change the aperture to get the backgrounds, try to get low ice, um, low apertures so you can get that nice diffused background. Um, and then because the light can be so changeable in wildlife, um, I kind of want my balance meter to be always in the middle if I want it darker, I can shift that to the left and shift it to the right with just one flick of the button, really. So it can still gives me all the control, but it also lets the camera adapt to changeable lights, which often in bird photography, it happens so quick that you can't really manually change that. The subject's always moving and the light's always changing. So you've got to be ready for that change. Mm. So you're shooting in aperture priority. Yeah. You, you'll just ride the compensation according to what's happening. Yeah. Um, if you want it brighter or darker. Um, I was curious if you're using auto ISO. No, I don't use auto ISO now. Um, okay. Some people do use auto ISO, but um, generally, whilst I'm taking pictures, I'll set it at like a mid-range somewhere around. If it's quite bright, I'll go down to maybe between 400 to 800. If it gets a bit darker, I'll probably raise it up to 1,000 to 1,600. But... Um, I can, I'm always watching that speed, but the speed really of the images that I'm getting, and I'll just kind of flick it up a couple of like bits just to get the the light up if um, it does get a bit darker. Just because um, again, the light's always changing, and sometimes mm. when you're shooting like quite like white birds like egrets, um, they always kind of you have to make it a lot darker just to get the white in. And that always gives you them really dark backgrounds, which I kind of really like in my work. Mm. So sometimes I'm shooting two stops to three stops darker than you would be, just enabling you to get the whites of like the pretty bright birds. Mm. So um, I don't know, it must be your age because you're young and nimble, but I'm, I'm, I would be going for the auto ISO so I don't have to be doing more finger work for that or more thinking really as well. Mm, I just Because yeah. I feel like... There's the technique, your back, back, back button focus, presumably. Uh, now you use front, front, front button, yeah. The, okay, the and then, so with the reflecting pool, do you sort of pre-focus on the spot where the guys are going to be? I've tried both with that. I've, so I've used pre-focusing, just putting like a stick where the birds are going to stand and pre-focusing that. And that that's generally a good way to go about these things. Um, I've also tried like cluster of like focusing points and basically it'll just kind of pick out when the object's moving in there. Uh, it works quite well, especially when the birds come maybe into the water to have like a bath, mm. um, so you can get them type of shots. But um, sometimes it will the focus might catch something in the background. But luckily, I had quite a clean background, so it didn't happen too often. Um, the, so you're not on the camera while you're shooting with that reflecting pool, is that right? Uh, no, no, I haven't tried it with uh, me being on there. Um, okay. But it, I think it would work pretty much the same but it was kind of for my comfort in that moment really just because it was much easier just to be sat upstairs in my bedroom window just overlooking the pond the, like the reflection pool in the garden yeah i totally get that because if your eyes in the in the viewfinder you can't see the animals coming in right yeah yeah so you just kind of i've just sat there kind of just watching and as soon as a bird kind of comes where i've set that focusing points really i just kind of press the button and hope that it's in focus and the bird's in the right spot and um, okay. it gives you a bit more like 
periphery really you can see birds in the trees and you can kind of see what's maybe going to come so you can get that ready for that moment Mm, I think that's so important for when you're doing that so I wasn't sure if you just had the camera set up and you were just next to it just waiting but Mm. it's you have to be able to see what's coming right yeah yeah it really helps because when you sometimes they can just come in for like a second and take off again with a piece of food or if sometimes the camera maybe when it triggers it'll get a bit scared and the bird will fly off again but um often with wildlife it's it's quick and you have to be ready for the moment mm. um what I've, I've noticed when i was doing that in the summer they, they don't it's like jurassic park they don't see you if you don't move you know yeah, yeah. um so I, you could just stand there and kind of wait for them but as soon as you moved they would be off um previously i think you had the hide is that right are you still using the hide in the garden uh we don't have it well we've got we've kind of adapted we had the like a tent up uh, in the back garden and we set up some perches and just put food and there we just kind of sat in there for like some weekends we just sat non-stop in the hide just from morning till dusk really just taking pictures but we've set up the shed at the minute we cut like a big hole in the side of the shed so we could stick our lenses through just gave us a different like area just photograph mm. but haven't really been using it as much now because we were able to get out a bit more but mm. i feel like going into autumn and the winter I- i'm probably hoping to use it more i'm thinking of some nice autumn leaves kind of collecting on the edge of the water or um some maybe snow shots if we're lucky to get some snow this year but okay and I, i'm not i'm an outsider to this world so you get different kinds of birds in winter than you do in summer yeah so um you get so i always think sp- for garden birds autumn winter and spring's much better than summer in the summer you've got a less a lot less coming in uh, especially now in autumn there's a lot more foods available in like wild food there's a lot more berries and nuts all the trees are producing seeds as well so all the birds are picking off all them but you also get migrants so a lot of goldfinches greenfinches they're starting to um leave uh, some resident but a lot of them leave down to france and spain in the summer in the winter um, and then you'll get different birds arriving but um later on when it starts getting a bit cooler food starts to run out in the forest a lot more birds enter gardens so you'll get long-tailed tits um maybe a bullfinch we see them around but never got a picture of one in the garden but you can always hope okay there's just i'm again i'm not i haven't been into this before but when you start looking at the birds they're really amazing to see right yeah yeah some some people just kind of it's, when you're not interested in it you kind of overlook a lot of these things and you won't notice they're there you just but, don't see it right no you just don't see them and when you start looking you see just so much and they're they're often so colorful like i always think blue tits just because there's so many and you see them quite often they're overlooked a lot but they're incredibly beautiful birds they've mm. got so much color to them and you get people like I've spoke to people like farmers or people walking in like forests and stuff like that. And you ask them if they've seen these animals and they just say no. And like they're everywhere. If you, if you just take a second to look, you just have to stop mm. and give it a moment and you, you will find them. Um, I just wanted to touch on animal behavior. Uh, you mentioned it earlier. Is there, you know, when let's just to go back to the reflecting pool as a, as a good example of how we can talk about it. Is there a, a moment that you, so the bird comes in and lands or the squirrel or whatever, and are you looking for a, a particular gesture or something to happen bef- that tells you now is the time to press the button? Um, well, when I was doing the remote trigger, it was kind of hard to pick up on a specific moment. So I was just kind of shooting and hoping at that stage, really, because um, I wasn't like the trigger's not precise enough to get that exact moment. But when you're actually on the camera, you have a lot more like accuracy with your shots. Um, I am usually always looking for the bird when it's kind of looking up, quite aware of like basically doing some predator like awareness. So they'll look up, look at you they kind of step up and look a lot bigger than when they're eating. They're kind of tucking their heads down and you don't see them as nicely. Also, when they're coming into land or taking off, you get the wings spread out. That's always a nice shot. And on the reflection pool, because you've got water, a lot of birds sometimes come to drink and they kind of scoop up a bit of water. That's always decent or having a bath sometimes, although they can often look quite messy when they're having a bath. But um, but it's often them shots that like you catch something that's unexpected really and that's always quite special. Just regarding the um, the garden seed, do you feel like anyone can put that together in their, if it's assuming they have a garden, and yeah, put yeah. something together like that? 
if you've got if you've got a garden, it doesn't even need to be that big, really, because um, the thing with especially wildlife in the UK, all these birds, if you provide food and a bit of water, like they'll come like relatively quickly. If you give them a bit of time and you give them food, water, they will come. And I built my reflection pool out of I think it was one panel of fencing it was just an old panel that got a bit rotten and we had to change it last year so it was down the side of the shed and i just broke it up and used parts of the wood for that some nails that I had lying around in the garage i'm not really good at diy and all that stuff but i kind of put it together it i'm not sure how long it will last but um ordered a bit of like plastic pond lining from amazon and kind of hoped for the best really i did a bit of googling on how like how big to make them and stuff like that. Um, but I think it worked out pretty well, really. So, Yeah, it, it definitely did. So do you have to have feeders nearby and you sort of get them going between the feeder and the pond kind of thing? Yeah, so I, I set up um, some feeders next to it. In like We have like some apple trees next to it. So I put um, a couple of feeders and just put a varied food, some like peanuts, some mealworm, just some um, different types of seeds, just try and encourage different birds because they're all eating different things. Mm-hmm. Um, I often put a few bits of food actually on the reflection pool. Some people don't. Some people just like the birds to come for like when they want to drink on the water. Uh, but I just kind of put a bit of food just to attract them a bit more. Often meant you had to like kind of take edit a bit of food out of the shot sometimes if it was getting a bit messy. But if you try hide it within the moss, sometimes you can't even notice. Okay. The mistake I made was I used far too small of a pool. Yeah. Um, so your one is, was really long, is that right? Yeah, I can't remember the exact measurements, but in terms of width, it's probably about 0. 0.8 to point, no, 0. 0.6 to 0.8 metres, and then length is probably about 2.5 metres long. So it's okay. the length's quite important to get the reflection quite good. Um, some people have really big ones, uh, but... It generally the bigger the better but you don't also want it you don't want to make it too deep because if you start making it too deep the birds won't come or you'll get a lot more ripples mm, when it okay. gets windy so, and stuff like that so it seems to me between the the camera technique animal behavior um just getting the setup right um getting some food around attracting the wildlife it's, there's a lot of moving parts right this is why i was so impressed by your photography when i saw it because i'd been pottering about and i was like oh this is really really hard um the wildlife um i've done before has been uh on safari and it's like you see a lion you drive up to the lion you photograph the lion it's not you can't really scare them away but um um i think with this kind of british wildlife stuff it seems a lot more tricky so kudos to you for that um so uh, going <laughs> yes, uh, stepping out of your garden you'd mentioned um that you have got Spanish heritage. I noticed on your feed you'd spent some time in Spain. Um, was that this year yeah. uh, or last year? Uh, I did actually manage to get out this year to, uh, for a week. Um, it was pretty good timing, really. We had a, a week booked out in Spain, and I think two days before we were meant to travel out, uh, the ban was lifted for the mm. quarantine ban to go to Spain. So we just kind of took our chances and headed out. Um, and then we came back and it was fine and we filled in all like our uh, track and trace forms and all that. And then I think about a week and a half after we had come back, um, the cases started to rise again and and the, the borders closed. But um, luckily for us, when we do a lot of wildlife photography, we were in the south of Spain and um, it's very like there's not very many people around. It's quite small populations, mm-hmm. rural communities. And when we do do wildlife photography in Spain, we uh, we always get comments from the hotels we stay at. We always stay at pretty rubbish little things just because we spend so little time. We leave at about five in the morning to try to find the links in Spain. And then we won't come back till about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night just because the days are quite long in summer. So like sometimes the hotel staff, they just don't see us. And on the last day we check out and they're like, mm. we never saw you at all. And it's just we we spent so much time alone in wildlife. We weren't really worried about getting anything like COVID while we were out there, um, other than going to shops. Mm. But we just made sure we were safe, wearing masks and sanitizing and all that sure. stuff. So, um, how is the wildlife different uh, in Spain? Yeah, so uh, there's it's just it's different really. Um, generally, a lot of the time I go to the north of Spain because that's where my family was from. Mm. But um, 
I've kind of on my uh, dissertation for my masters, I went to the south of Spain, and that's where my project was undertaken. And I used a lot of camera traps, so I saw lots of the wildlife. Um, but when we were out there, the south of Spain, it's a national park called Doñana, and um, it's a really special part of the world because it's kind of the connecting point between Europe and Africa. Mm. So you get a lot of migration of birds passing through there. Okay. Also, you have some pretty unique wildlife, and that leads to an incredible biodiversity and some amazing birds that like are either never been seen in the UK or very, very rare, just like just kind of one that's got a bit lost somewhere really, mm. but you just don't see them around here. Mm. Oh, that's amazing. So, uh, so you're, you're out in the national park there to do the photography. And I, mm. again, I think we'd said it before, but it's a different kind of challenge, I guess. Yeah. So out there, it's, it's, it's quite a unique place because we kind of just, we, we rent a car and we'll just drive around. And um, I know quite a few good spots where we, we know where certain animals are going to be. They're quite, they generally like to keep territories, uh, some of these animals. So every time we go, we know where we're finding the wildlife. And we kind of use our car as a hide just because they're used to cars passing and they've never caused them any issues. Mm. So we all just kind of pull up in our car, wind down the windows and just shoot from the car a lot of the time. And it's a lot easier to get closer to the wildlife, at least in Spain, where we're doing this, just because um, they're, they're more scared of humans than an actual vehicle. So if you sit in your vehicle taking pictures, they don't seem to mind too much mm. and um, it lets you get a little bit closer and then obviously, because it gets quite hot in the south of Spain, it's quite nice to be sat in the car because you get a bit, it's not in the direct sunlight. Mm. So that often helps. Um, and you just kind of shoot away from the car, really. So you um, you can drive through the national park then? Uh, so a lot of the stuff we did is not actually in the national park. Uh, it's the surrounding areas of the national park. There's different levels of... Um, like control so there's like core areas which only uh scientists or gate like the people that maintain the reserve go in i was lucky enough to go there dur during my dissertation so i got to go in the main area but um when i'm doing my photography at least when i go on ho like holiday with my dad really um we don't go into these areas just because you're not allowed um they're all like securely like protected so um we just go to the areas around and sometimes the wildlife out there's even better because they've got a lot of rice fields and these rice fields are full of water and they've got loads of uh, like crayfish dragonfly larvae and frogs and tadpoles and all that so that attracts a lot of these like uh, quite big wading birds you get like um egrets flamingos lots of different types of herons and that um, is quite a good spectacle to see just thousands of birds flocking around these mm. fields, just kind of eating everything they can. Mm. So do you, would you go there looking for particular shots? Do you, go, do you shoot with something in mind or are you just kind of happy to find those things in the moment? Uh, we kind of, you have like your, your ideal scenario where like I've always, we always started off going hoping to find the lynx uh, just because it's one of the rarest cats in the world. Um, and that was kind of the plan, but we would literally take anything. We Sometimes we find animals and we, we're not even too sure what it was, um, especially with some birds, mm. and that's kind of the fun researching after to see what you found. Um, but you've, you've got your ideas of what you want to try get, but with wildlife, sometimes you just never know, and like you just get a random animal, a random event that happens, and it's somehow a perfect moment for a photo, and you get that kind of unique shot, mm. which is always quite nice with wildlife unpredictable and so just um to round up uh, on on this bit the technique you would shoot from the car same as the kind of thing you're doing at home obviously you've got the camera in hand presumably um, yes but... so yeah just camera in hand um generally i'll lean it up on the windows on the edge of the window sometimes i use like a beanbag mm. to stop any if the car's still switched on it stops the vibrations but you can just turn the car off and that stops that um but yeah generally still shooting same stuff av modes um so aperture priority um unless i'm going for a really specific shot where i need to control the light a bit more precisely but um the problem with in, in like especially in the south of spain it's uh it's always sunny so um you've always got especially during the middle of the day the, the light gets really harsh and um sometimes can just become like just too hard to take pictures so that's why we always try to get up early get stay there till late 
get them when the sun's setting, the, like the golden hour, really. You get that smoother, bit. the light's not as harsh, get a bit more colour to your images. Hmm. So that's why we always try to get up early. It's always worth getting up early and staying up late. Yeah, I mean, we're used to that as, as a landscape photographer, but that still applies for wildlife, yeah? Yeah, it depends on the weather. Sometimes if it's cloudy, especially around like in the UK, you get a lot of cloud and it doesn't really matter in the middle of the day just because the lights kind of, it kind of dims the light a bit down. But when it gets too bright, it's just, sometimes the image is just too contrasty, especially when the, when the sun's right above you. There's just, you're just basically getting silhouettes or just burnt out images. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that golden hours, them, them early morning hours, late afternoon hours, the colours are just much brighter, the light's just much smoother. You get a really nice image that way. Mm. So, yeah, you said you were up in Scotland um, recently. Um, what kind of thing were you doing up here? Uh, well, we were planning on, we had a friend that actually kind of, we met locally doing macro photography with my dad and uh, we became good friends just locally and then he eventually moved up to Scotland um, and he bought a house and um, in his house he was getting uh, in the garden he was getting red squirrels and um, pine martins uh, coming to visit mm. so he kind of set up a hide um, and started attracting the animals there and he had been up there for a few years and we hadn't seen him so we kind of eventually decided we should go up and pay him a visit to see what like how how the animals were going because we've never seen pine martins and we don't get red squirrels down here so it's always nice to go up there and see them so um mm. he kind of had a really nice setup there so he just got some really awesome pictures of pine martins and red squirrels okay and then we also went to a another like commercial hide that we had never been to up in scotland just whilst we were up there we were like we'll make the most of it have like a mini week holiday mm. um just to see what cause we, i haven't really ventured out to scotland very often so just the wildlife and the landscape up there it's just it differs so much from down here even though it's like not that far away mm. but there is a big difference mm. so uh, where are you based uh so i'm based in a uh, scunthorpe so north lincolnshire okay so yes. yeah it's not far really isn't it but um it's yeah it's definitely different up here i didn't realize you didn't get red squirrels maybe i'm just being taking it for granted but we we do get them around here um, yeah, I, I favorite squirrels are just my favorite. I I just love squirrels just to see them move. You know, yeah, they're great. They're great animals, and uh, it's actually I think it's uh, Red Squirrel Awareness Week starting today. Huh. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's a big problem because they got um, the grey squirrels. Uh, they're invasive and from North America, and um, down here you just get grey squirrels just because um, they'll outcompete the red squirrels and give them squirrel pox. Mm. Uh, which the, the greys are affected by squirrel pox and the reds are. So nowadays you won't get um, red squirrels uh, from, you can only get them really above Newcastle and Cumbria side. Anywhere above there you start to get reds, but below that line it's only only greys mm. really down here. wanted to ask you about your uh, time in Tanzania um, because mm-hmm. I saw on your feed somewhere that you'd been... Um, how did that come about? How did you find it? Tell us about your time in Africa. Uh, so, yeah, so when I was doing my master's, uh, one of the modules uh, was an opportunity to go to Tanzania. And uh, we undertook like a small group project. So we were in small groups and we took a project out to Tanzania. So obviously that was a really nice perk of being able to do that course. Um I'd ne- I'd been to Africa before, but never to uh, Tanzania. So um, we went out um, as like the uni group and we flew to this remote um, reserve that was owned by one of the lecturers. He set up the reserve himself. Wow. Um, and uh, it's nothing fancy. Like there was it's just a, a good community doing some scientific research out there. And uh, they had uh, wild chimps and also a few different monkey types and they set up camera traps and they get some pretty incredible wildlife out there so um it was just a really nice opportunity to go to a new place in the world and just find out see how local people like live out there the local wildlife um i didn't get too many chances to do photography just because we were obviously doing some work out there Mm. but uh i always took my lens and carried it around even though it was some rough walking out there following some chimps but i did manage to find some wild chimps out there um 
and I got some really nice shots and I'm, I was very privileged to see that because a lot of our group didn't get to see him. So mm. uh, it was a big honour to be able to see him and photograph him mm. in the wild. Mm. Um, so what does it look like for you in the next few years? Where do you see your pursuit of photography going? Um, well, I, I would love to do like wildlife photography as a job, obviously. Um, it's kind of my passion. It's what I spend most of my time doing. But... Um, I, I'm really not sure how I would go. I, I could be happy to go into like biological studies or um, or into even zoo stuff just because I'm doing the like um, volunteering at the zoo. I've really enjoyed that. But uh, ideally just um, doing wildlife photography as a job, um, either organizing trips to take people to certain parts of the world and um, show them techniques and where to find these animals because some people it can be quite difficult as you were saying and I've got quite a good knowledge of where to find these animals so it's the stuff people are willing to do like pay money to do Mm. um so I've always thought of doing like organized trips um to Spain just because I know some of them areas quite well Mm. and especially in the UK some people just won't have a clue where to go and where to find these wildlife Mm. but um yeah it's quite uncertain at the minute but um I'm pretty much happy to try anything so if an opportunity presents itself, I'll try take it. So hmm. you speak Spanish, though. Yeah, I speak fluent Spanish and English. So okay. I would, uh, from from my experience and just from where I'm sitting, I would say that is the link. You know, that's going to be the unique thing for you, the link to Spain, and uh, if you can get on top of the wildlife over there, know the places to go, the places to take people. I think that would be a sort of unique selling point for you. Yeah, that's yeah. It's been kind of an idea that we've had for a while. It's just trying to get that sorted, and um, just because I, I know the south of Spain quite well, just from recent trips, and the north of Spain where my family is, we get we have spent my whole childhood spending whole summers there. So mm. um, I know the area very well, and um, being able to speak two languages is really helpful, mm. especially when you go to another country like that. Yeah, and if you're taking people with you, you just having that local knowledge will give the give the guests so much um, reassurance, you know. Yeah. Um, okay, I've got a feature here that I'd like to try, and um, I don't know. I need to find a catchy name for it, um, and I'm going to pick a photo of yours to talk about, and then I thought if you can pick one that is really memorable or has a great story behind it, and we can talk about that. And uh, I don't know. I might. I was thinking about calling it double exposure because, okay, you know, yeah, I don't know. I, I like I, it. I put a sound effect on that, you know, double exposure. But um, I don't know. If you've got any other ideas, let me know. I'm open to ideas. And um, so let's see. I was looking down your feet. There was a few that I could have chosen. I love this, the flying squirrel, but I think I kind of settled on the wading egret. Do you know the one I'm talking about? The bird is it the one with the dark background? Black. Almost the entire yeah. frame is black and the bird is just perfectly exposed. It, it's amazing, yeah. So can you talk through um, the story of that picture, the techniques and how, how it just came about? Yeah, so um, that was actually taken in uh, Top Hill Low, which is a, a nature reserve run by, I, I believe it's Yorkshire Water. But... Um, there's a lot, we get a lot of um, egrets. Um, they're little egrets, these ones. Um, and last year, especially, there was a big group. This year, we only get, there's only been one or two around. Um, but generally, when the light hits these white birds, um, it's you have to literally drop the, the, um, the exposure by two or three stops just because they're so bright. And because the, the background um, is always quite dark, especially when it's cloudy, um, you get like dark reeds and this water becomes quite dark as well. Uh, it really just naturally becomes uh, a really black background. And then obviously uh, in post edit, you can like bring that down, make it even darker mm-hmm. than it has to be. And um, I always find it really, it's kind of one of my favorite shots to get uh, when you get an animal with a completely black or a completely white background mm-hmm. I, it just it's such a unique shot it's almost something that you would get in like a studio mm. um and it's something you don't really associate with wildlife and um because in this place they have a a, a wonderful hide that um sometimes could be looked after a bit better than it really is but um it's a really low angle hide so it's close to the water mm. it's designed to actually flood if the water goes up too much um but you you sit down and your body's pretty much where the underwater should be 
but um, your camera just sits just above the waterline and it gives that angle. And that angle for me in photography is is the most important thing. If I was telling anyone one thing about wildlife photography is to get down level with the thing you're shooting mm. because the, that that angle, getting down level to the subject is the most important thing to create a really unique shot. Mm, totally agree. And it, it really makes that shot. It gives the animal some stature in the image. If you, I don't know if you had this experience uh, in Tanzania, but um, when you, if you go in safari, and you know the safari vehicles, have, most of them have an open roof, and um, people will stand up in the vehicle to shoot out and down to the animals. It's cool mm-hmm. to stand up and look out the roof of a vehicle. I totally get that, but I always find myself lying on the floor, you know, in some weird position, just to try and get as low as I can. Because if you can get eye to eye with a lion, whatever it is. I mean, it's just so powerful, you know. Yeah, it's, it's often yeah, it's often super hard to do, especially if it's like muddy or if it's like on the edge of a pond. But it's honestly, it's the best thing you can do. Like I've laid down everywhere in muddy bits on the edge of ponds and gravel. I've just like crawled across the ground trying to get that angle. But it, it makes the biggest difference. Mm. Getting down level with the animal you're taking pictures of is one of the best ways to get a good picture. That's really important, I think, because we've got the techniques, we've got the animals in front of us. This, these little things that are going to be the difference, don't you think, between a so-so photo and actually a great shot? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, yeah. Is there, sorry, is there a shot of yours that you would like to uh, tell me an epic story about? Uh, I honestly, I've got loads of really good pictures, but I think the one at the minute that's most memorable for me it must be quite a bit down my feet now, but it's uh, my experience with the Iberian lynx uh, last summer. Just, it's such a unique image. Um, and it's, for me, it was an opportunity that I, I don't believe I will ever be able to improve on, uh, ever. Like this, this animal population in south of Spain dropped to, I believe, under 100 um, in the early 2000s now has luckily been recovered to I believe around 700 individuals nowadays but um, we went to Spain with my dad and the f- I'd been before my dissertation but the first time we went to take pictures we went every morning every afternoon to an area where we knew there was lynx and there was we believed there was three or four lynxes in the area just uh, a mum and dad so there was a male female and there was two young, so this year's young and last year's young, which normally would be ex- like chucked out of the group, but uh, because there was so much food in the area, they had allowed it to stay in the area. Um, so we, we were basically spending all the time there. And one morning we had just come, we, were, we hadn't even arrived at the spot where we were expecting to see it. And um, as we were driving, there was a farmer that had stopped and had his phone out and was recording something. So we slowed up, he told us to slow down. Uh, we stopped the vehicle, got out, and just there in a field that had just been, it was, I think it was a wheat field that had just been harvested, so the crop was all gone, so it was super low, and there was just a young Iberian lynx just sat there in this field, and it was about 15, 20 metres away, mm-hmm. so really close, and it was hunting um, a young hare, and it was basically just playing with it, just practising its hunting techniques, uh, and when we always imagine seeing a lynx, we imagine seeing it and just vanishing mm. um, within like a second, just like a super elusive encounter. But we spent about 30 to 40 minutes with this lynx, just filling our boots with shots. Mm. And we even just stopped and admired it. And we were able to sit down low on the ground, take shots of it hunting, of it sitting, lying down. The the sun was literally rising up behind us, so we had the light on our side, the the best experience that I could ever imagine. Mm. And I don't know, I, I find it hard that I'm ever going to beat that experience with any other animal, mm. but I'll, I hope I do. Um, yeah, but I hope so. It was such a special encounter. It was it was something I will never forget. That's great. I love to hear that because uh, I, for me, photography has brought me to many, many incredible experiences. And mm. um, I, I'm feeling you on that. It's just a great moment for you to have. So well done. Yeah. Um, okay, we're getting near the end, Julian. I want to have another special round, which is called the quick fire round. But I don't want to call it a quick fire round. I was thinking I might call it motor drive with a special right. effect on the 
you know what motor drive is? Because old cameras used to have it. I don't think they really call it that now. To you know, to drive on the film. Um, oh, okay. So yeah. the the modern equivalent is continuous high speed shutter release, but it doesn't. <laughs> the have first to, one sounds better. Yeah, the first one sounds better. So okay, so quick fire round. Anyway, okay. Uh, there's ten or eleven questions here. Wide angle or telephoto? Telephoto. I thought so. Coffee or tea? <laughs> Uh, neither but tea. Okay, okay. Um, head or heart? Heart. What was the last great book, movie, series or album that you consumed? Mm, I'll say Dermot Kennedy's last album, so music. Okay. What kind of music is it? Um, he's just an Irish singer um, and he just put on a, an album called Outnumbered last year and I went to see him last year and he's a really, really talented guy. Cool, great. Okay, um, expensive lens cloth or just the corner of your shirt? Oh, expensive lens cloth. Oh, wow. Wow, good. Well, with those big lenses, I suppose you want to take care of them. No, um, what was the last thing you photographed? Uh, red squirrel. Cool, good fun? Yeah, very good fun. Okay, what, what is a weird thing I could find in your camera bag? Um, a weird thing? Hmm. Probably my new recorder to record sounds, but haven't used it very much, so it just kind of sits in the bag at the minute. But oh, um, animal sounds. Yeah, so I'm, I was thinking of basically recording um, just if any if any animals are making sounds, just try to get some recordings if I want to make videos in the future. Mm. Um, but I, I bought it at the beginning of the year and I haven't used it yet, but it sits in the bag at least. Mm. <laughs> is, it, is it a big chunky recorder? Uh, yeah, it's quite big. It's not huge, but um, it's apparently it was quite a good one. I did some research on it, but um, I was hoping to use it on a, a trip to Finland, but that was cancelled. So mm. I was hoping to get maybe wolves howling. Um, That's a but, great uh, idea. But it was cancelled, that trip, so hopefully next year will be better and we'll be able to go. But that was the idea behind the recorder. Okay, okay. So favourite photographer right now? Uh, favourite photographer right now? I would say Bertie Gregory. Bertie Gregory. We'll put this in the show notes. Um, something you wish you'd known five years ago? Mm, I would say it's not all about getting close. It's about composition more than getting close. And the last one, when do you feel at peace with the universe? When I'm with my camera in, the, in taking pictures of wildlife just by myself. That is, There's no better feeling. Great answer. Okay, Julian, thanks so much. Where can people go to connect with you, support your work, uh, find out more about what you do? Uh, generally, most of my work I put on Instagram at the minute. So it's uh, Julian uh, underscore Toreros Martin. Um, I also sometimes use Twitter at wildlife underscore Julian. Um, they're pretty much my main two platforms. I'm working on a website, but I haven't got it finished yet. So Cool. Okay, it's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot for coming on, Julian. Take care. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening. I hope you took something away from that. Follow Julian on Instagram. The link and links to some of the things we spoke about today are in the show notes. I'd love to connect with you and you can find me on Instagram, YouTube and at the Viewfinders webpage. Again, links are in the show notes. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe, rate and review. It really makes a difference and helps get the show in front of more people. While you're there, check out some more episodes. Okay, be kind, enjoy your photography and I'll see you out there.